Hey, welcome back, guys. This is the sixth episode, and thanks all for the great feedback and reviews that you've been providing me on the show. It's overwhelming to see how many people are enjoying the podcast. And to continue the streak of great guests on the show, I have Dheeraj Jain with me today. He's the founder of Redcliffe Capital. Redcliffe is a single LPGP fund, and Dheeraj has over thirty startups on his portfolio, which he's invested over the course of the last five years, both in India and abroad. I caught up with him to learn how he invests, which markets within India are very attractive to him, among other topics in venture capital. Let's jump straight into the episode and learn more about Dheeraj and uh, Redcliffe Capital. Hi, Dheeraj. Great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining in. How's it going? It's going very well. Thanks, Aksh, for having me on your podcast. Great. Uh, so I wanted to really start off with your background. You started your career with Nokia, completed your MBA, and then started out in venture capital. And I learned recently that you've also turned an entrepreneur. I'm extremely curious to firstly understand what attracted you to venture capital and investing. And secondly, we've seen entrepreneurs turn investors, but in your case, it's the other way around. So, what made you choose this unconventional path? Right. Um, so, you know, way back in two thousand six, seven, I think Nokia was very aggressive, and I and I had a tenure, a good ten years at Nokia. So, I think towards uh, my last uh, few years, I mean, I got involved into a team who was looking strategic business opportunities. So, we were looking businesses which were small. Wanting to raise money, but invest instead of Nokia investing in a sort of conventional VC style, which they were doing through a Nokia venture fund. This was a a separate um, investment mandate. Um, you know, our team at the corporate level had, and so I actually met and interacted with loads of these companies, and we made decisions. We bought some of them. The company we bought earlier, we were divesting. So you know, we were kind of restructuring the portfolio, and that was the first exposure I had to sort of, um, uh, you know, a venture capital, a style of venture capital. And um, when I left uh, um, uh, Nokia, uh, you know, after the sort of the financial, global financial crisis, um, and at the time when Nokia uh, was sort of really on a downturn, and the Microsoft, uh, you know, uh, acquisition and all of these were kind of under plan, um, that was a time I thought I should I should sort of move out and and start looking at other things. And I was sort of had an opportunity to work, um, uh, you know, with with a with a bulge bracket. Um, for manager on a leverage buyout um, setup, and and that eventually um, you know became uh, a sort of a junior partner and a partner to that 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 business, and that was doing mostly um, sort of structured credit uh, investment. So so nothing on sort of for the VC style. It's a very different kind of asset class and investment class. But I learned a lot about different sectors and and jurisdictions, and and obviously. Um, what, what I wasn't doing was looking early stage. So these were all late stage uh, restructuring opportunities, special situation opportunities, with uh, with with the capital uh, in the form of credit could make a difference to that business. And and I did this for five years, five five and a half years, and had good success in that. And that was a time, um, you know, India was India had been very very hot throughout last decade and and and, and this decade. Uh, and that was sort of the time when I. So, you know, you start hearing a lot about um, e-commerce and mobility and food tech and logistic tech and all of these four or five different fundamentals of of uh, of a startup ecosystem every country have. And and I thought that 
you know, am I missing out? And and that was a time I think we planned to move back to India. And 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 that's where you know thought about really investing into early stage ecosystem. And uh, it took some some time. Um, um, obviously being new to to all of that. Uh, in and and especially in India, that sort of moved back to India after 15 years of stay in Europe. And um, and you know was really thinking you know what would be the best way to start investing in and. Um, I uh, uh, was very clear that, you know, I wanted to uh, not raise money and not wanted to, um, you know, have, in, uh, you know, an outside money from um, from known people even because till the time I understand the space. And and therefore, I've, uh, at that point of time in 2015, decided to invest um, our own money and, um, um, uh, you know, a, a, a kitty which would uh, uh, allow, uh, you know, good enough exposure to, to a lot of different companies. and. With the mindset that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a quite a big risk, um, obviously because the asset class is a, is is from a risk reward perspective and on the, on the obviously in the high risk side. And but knowing that it could also take five, six, seven, eight years before you know there will be a possibility of exits. And um, and so keeping that in mind, so started investing in 2015, um, um, where you know I was both the GP and the LP for that for that little fund and. And uh, and then um, you know very active in 15, 16, 17, and 18, and then started slowing down uh, because of events happened in in sort of 17, 18, and then um, then now been very focused on 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 a sector, on a couple of sectors, and on on opportunities investing in. But um, obviously, as you said, um, uh, what what I did was to then become an entrepreneur in 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 a couple of businesses, which uh, which are really doing very well right now. Well, that's great. And I'm glad you touched upon something in that segment which, which, spoke, which speaks about special situation investments. And I'm really curious to learn a little more about that. It was also mentioned on your homepage where it said uh, Redcliffe Capital is a venture capital firm and a special situation investment firm. So could you share with our listeners what that really means and how does Redcliffe or you fit really into that? I mean, so there was... Uh... This was, um, you know, when this was something we were doing earlier. Now I think that that focus is very, very limited um, um, because I've obviously become an entrepreneur in a, in a, in a couple of different businesses. So those um, during those days, um, we were seeing Indian companies were um, coming outside India and acquiring businesses, but they um, were only interested in businesses which um, first integrates either backward or forward to their supply chain or to their product portfolio, and and the businesses which are available for cheap and and they would only come if there is a situation with that business either the business doesn't have a success at the target business or have balance sheet structuring which will um, allow um, you know the business could be sold out at a, at a at a very different kind of value and premium versus the traditional sort of um, sort of formulas for acquiring businesses and and these were like really in the mid market in auto um, components and you know mining metal infrastructure um, uh, you know, all of that kind of traditional sort of sector of um, infrastructure development and, and clean energy as well. And um, and we were um, providing credit to um, structured credit to these businesses um, in a form uh, where our money stays outside India, invested in that company on behalf of the acquirer and the acquirer would um, and we would secure the acquirer um, shares uh, or structure in a way that it allows us to invoke. A, a pledge if, if something is not as per the covenants we said when we acquire or fund these kind of things. And 
so it was very structured in that way. There was no sort of very um, standard rule around what would work because very different and different kind of setups. And but what we did that we had we have good exits and we had um, you know success in that. Um, but to scale up that kind of business would require a, a slightly larger team um, and obviously a larger capital as well. And 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 the idea was that you know I would probably take a bit break from from that journey and then and and then maybe come back to it once I believe you know we have uh, ability to build up a, a sizable uh, business in that space. Right. As someone who's been so extensively active in the in the financial sector, how do you feel venture? And how has that in, evolved as an asset class in India? I think, um, I mean, um, in India, obviously, the, the the teams who have started very, very early, I mean, they're the one who's, um, you know, having major success because they have seen a couple of cycles and they've also seen the businesses, which obviously takes time to build up. So so those who have, um, you know, really started early or started in mid, mid, mid-2000s, um, I mean, they're the one who can really talk about this uh, as a class, as an investment class and how that has evolved. But as an outsider, uh, you know, till 2015, I mean, that was, um, again, the big names um, were very, very popular and they were the one backing um, companies. And then the Tiger Global and the SoftBanks and they came in and they started writing a very, very large check. So the whole investment class um, uh, become very, very different. And then um, the previous funds who were, um, very active in in 2000, late 2000, and then you know early sort of 2011. 12. I mean they've been obviously raising their next rounds and and they've been investing quite heavily. So, so I think that the asset class within the last 10 years I think is very very different. And because obviously the the success some of these um, um, funds have had um, in companies which have gone to IPOs or had been bought out. Um, and then secondly, the sheer um, um, the opportunity, which is really driven by what India has also evolved in the last 10 years, you know, with so much penetration on digital um, um, and uh, ability and awareness among consumer, awareness among companies about, you know, uh, uh, about new products and, and new technologies and all of that combined with all of that. The opportunity is very, very different. And the number of opportunities are also very different from what used to be 10 years back. And this also then linked to macro of how um, social media and everything have actually changed lives of people and how they're changing lives of everybody around and, and how they're changing how the businesses are run. So I think combine you combine all of that and you see India from a VC perspective is a very, very different market what it used to be 10 years back. Right. And then that actually brings me to the next topic, which is you know, there are a lot of funds out there in the Indian VC uh, market today. And you being a single LP, single GP sort of a structure that you have ongoing, how do you feel the investments or the growth of VC industry in general in India affecting, you know, structures like yourself? Right. I mean, um, so I think the whole angel perspective, I mean, that's where sort of I fit in. And, and sometimes there have been opportunity where we have done sort of post angel. But I think... Um, you know the the whole ecosystem is is very large, and there are very established VCs who um, who are obviously very selective on what they invest and how they invest. And you have new age VCs who have really come up, um, you know, run by successful entrepreneurs who have sold their companies, have raised money, club with financial services professionals, you know, come together to for for that fund. Um, and a lot of these new age VCs have been very active in the last four or five years. And and then you see angels who are like obviously the 
the names which were very popular, like Stefano van Mittel and Rehan Yar Khan, you know, who backed Ola and, and at time, uh, you know, they've become very active angels. Um, and, and then you see people who have, like me, who have moved back to India and then, you know, have ability to invest, but together with some of these angels to start with, and then obviously start building your own pieces on what kind of really makes sense. I think there is nobody competes here, I mean, in that sense. I mean, but some very good deals who are, um, who, you know, you would like to then invest yourself, obviously, and invest with some of the known guys. So um, at an early stage, I think there's a less of a competition. I mean, that's where there's a lot available and you have to really find out. I mean, do the entrepreneur can really build this up. The team can really build this up. It's, uh, you know, starting obviously the product market fit and all of the kind of obvious pieces which everybody has. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's where I come in at, uh, at an early stage, um, you know, post-seed, pre-series A, sometime together in a series A, but mostly pre-series A and, um, or, or angel, obviously. And um, so seed, angel, pre-series A, series A, and, and, and I kind of come in, in somewhere before series A in, in any of these sort of possibilities. And, and then when it comes to series A, it has to be, you know, obviously um, um, have to write you know, if a raise is a $10 million, then there may be a couple of VCs, a single VC, and that's the time, you know, <clears throat> either do a pro rata or, um, or just let the, the VCs do it. So I think my work uh, in terms of investment is, is prior to the VCs getting really active. And, and what we obviously want to make sure that anything we back have, have that ability to raise the, the series A and B down. A, definitely, because that's a big, big validation. Right. Um, and, and therefore, knowing these VCs and knowing their mindset and how they wanted to invest, both the traditional and the new ones, is also very, very important for angels um, to kind of really see that what they're investing would then sail further to the next round. I think the environment is, it, is, very, is very collaborative also in some way, but it's also competitive. But the more the, the competition is, is, is more now with at all stages because a lot of things have happened. You see there at least you know, there used to be four or five main angel networks. Now you see there's at least 40 angel networks. I mean, there's at the city level, um, uh, at the community level, then obviously at at, uh, at the academic level. So there's a lot of these have built up and they all look for the same deals. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, once the investment happens and the VCs come in. So so good deals are always... Um, uh, always you see people are competing and, and but but then um, what makes a good deal is is that early stage investment coming at the right time obviously with the right team and then working together jointly to kind of take it to that series a which is where really the the first milestone for that company is uh, from a fundraising and obviously from a scaling up perspective interesting so what is your thesis as an angel investor and what are some of the things that you look out for when you're building a sector thesis, for example? Um, so my, um, again, I've uh, done investment in 2015. That time, um, I was very excited about um, student housing. I was in, excited about housing um, um, for millennials and, and then students combined. And we were looking at companies and we didn't find anything. Till the time I found um, a company called Zocalo, which then converted, renamed to Coho Co-Living, uh, because the entrepreneur um, understood the gap. He was very excited to build up, um, uh, you know, a business around it, um, and was ready to pivot because at that point in time, when we invested, was running a website for PGs and for, you know, the discovery side of it. There's nothing real underlying asset, and so 
you know, an entrepreneur whose ability to really build up on pieces which we believe could scale up. And that was sort of my first check. And I was sort of came really at the closure of the round, but actually become a lead investor and still continue to be a board member of that company, a board of director. And it has done really, really well. It's uh, well, 4,500 4, bets just in Delhi NCR, 90% plus occupancy, um, um, very little um, sort of uh, churn. So, you know, again, um, so my thesis has been really finding the right teams and right founders and and then look opportunity, uh, a little bit agnostic. So I've not sort of really uh, decided that if I'm going to only do a, uh, educational tech or a health tech was more about what's coming across. I mean, because, you know, that was, again, uh, first or second sort of year of exposure in terms of really looking at these companies. But what I was definitely sure um, is, um, you know, is the market size are, in some cases, the market size were just building up. In some cases, the market size were bigger. Um, so, um, and, and earlier on, the understanding and keeping market size, um, um, you know, was not the constraint, um, was really the quality of entrepreneur and the product market fit. But then as, as I moved on, further than the market size became a very important criteria um, um, as well. Um, and and they're uh, combined with the previous criteria that I have. Um, but definitely nothing pre-revenue. So a company is making some revenue, have two co-founders. Um, in case of Coho, there was only like one lead co-founder, the other one um uh, uh, you know from a captable perspective we wasn't at the same level but again a good team so multiple co-founder good for market fit post revenue uh have execution capabilities to scale this up because that's all matters i mean um and then uh have ability to also raise money um with the institutional investors uh, i mean these four five things sort of was sort of the core on my thesis which always continues even now earlier the market size wasn't the main thing um uh, but now i think the market and market size have also evolved so that's something which we always very closely look and understand before making investment decisions i'm glad you brought that up because uh, i'm curious to find out what are some of the characteristics that you look for in in a founder or in a founding team um i think most of my founders which i have back have worked in for a professional life and have built up their career they have great education background and um and have success in the professional career, and uh, have seen India, um, you know, uh, again from developing. Either they were consultant to a large consulting company, so have done variety of assignments in that space uh, where they have started their business, um, or um, you know, have exposure on, on on operations on ground, and know what are the pain points. And so, you know, some exposure. Um, in what they're trying to build up. Previously, that obviously has been very, very important. Even if they didn't have the exposure, they at least have the right spirit and right attitude towards building something of this kind. I mean, in some cases, the uh, in a couple of my investment, the, the founders were like literally, you know, came out of college two years back. So they had a very little time seeing the market, seeing the business um, firsthand, but have the right attitude. And Obviously, uh, have uh, and 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 ability to listen to 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 everyone else who was giving the right advice. I mean, um, so you know that flexibility is, is what at least in the young young founders that we were looking. But those who have ten years of background and experience, I mean, the conversations were relatively easier in terms of you know what we're trying to build up. Would that be success? How would what makes the venture scales up? 
what could be the constraint, what should be the focus, because, you know, sometimes we talk about doing pan-India, but then we said, let's do it only in a city, two city, make it that successful, and then sort of move on. I mean, those kind of conversations, it's much easier for someone who have actually seen seen the markets and industry. Obviously, somebody who have failed before in, in, in the previous startup would, would, would always be welcome because to kind of avoid repeating the same mistake. So it's a mix of all of that different things um, among these founders, uh, you know, which um, was sort of, again, not a criteria, something which were evolving. And then really spending knowing those founders well was very important, um, not just uh, meeting them in a formal setup, but just really, you know, knowing otherwise as well and what their aspirations are, why they want to get into this. You know, could there be a constraint? And also knowing about founders' chemistry, you know, how they have known each other, they worked before, were they classmates in college or were they worked in the previous job? You know, all of those things. Um, knowing more about the founders has been sort of core to sort of my investment decision about those founders. No, I completely agree. A good mix of experience and tenacity is very important for a founding team. I'm, I'm curious to explore a little further on this. I found this quote by you on the internet where you said, India has the capacity and potential to create phenomenal consumer brands. Now, we know that it takes a lot of time and capital to build great consumer brands, which let's face it is a challenge for most companies in the consumer sector today uh, when it comes to efficient scaling. Now, in spite of that, what about the Indian consumer market really excites you the most? I mean, the first is the size itself, um, you know, very, very large and, and the segmentation that you have what we call in the FMCG distribution sort of landscape. And there's an India, um, India A, India B, India C, um, or India 1, 2, 3 is basically the segment saying, you know, the urban upper, urban middle, then obviously um, tier two city. Um, and there also you have tier two upper and middle and then goes on. So you have such an amazing segmentation and you could actually decide and, and each of the segments are, are, you know, you have a population obviously which you focus for or target for and each of them have a little different style of consuming, discovering, consuming, repeating that purchases. And, um, and with the digital obviously being around that, um, you know, that sometimes the boundary of discovery is, is, is gone. And it could be the same for, for, for many of these categories. But mm-hmm. obviously, their income level and ability to spend on something new, ability to kind of continue working, consuming a, a brand which has been there for many, many years is, again, very, very different. So, so what excites is the size, the segmentation, obviously, and the aspirations. And, uh, and the combined with social media and the digital, um, I think the whole ecosystem is very different. I mean, comparing to... Um, 10 years back when you could have probably heard about maybe, um, I don't know, there was any consumer brand which was outside the traditional FMCG guys who have become popular, maybe maybe, maybe not. Um, but now you see, um, you take a, um, you know, you take a cosmetics, um, you see four or five really good brands have come up and, and these were smaller companies, they were labels, they were only selling something online, but then they eventually went up. Um, um, uh, and out into the market and with the with the capital and then with the ability actually and, and build up a, a lot of noise about their products and and um, and have done really good job both selling online and offline and um, so you see um, we've seen this in beverages obviously in food um, and then now uh, you know I've been a co-founder of a hygiene startup which have done extremely well obviously I've raised capital but also have built up a 
you know, a name in, in that category and then building up adjacent categories as well. Um, and, you know, you continue doing that, like men grooming a company which we backed called the man company, which, you know, at that point in time, the men grooming was kind of a, a nice to have, but it was a little question mark with this really build up and scale up as, as in as a business and would that be an, um, an opportunity and and I was sort of very happy for that decision we made uh, to back the man company which is now really in leading men grooming brand in India and there are five or six of them have come up around the same time and after that and obviously all of them have literally have raised their subsequent rounds and, and further on um, so you know I think the it, it's it, it's a time where I think the consumers um, you know, are obviously are a lot more conscious. They 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 appreciate uh, the the brand um, transparency about what's in the product, what are the ingredients, the packaging, the delivery, and all of that kind of stuff. So, so the brands obviously have an opportunity in their positioning, and then the discovery online or through the store. Offline distribution still remain a large investment, and not many new consumer brand does it. But like we did in PSA because we had the right partners and we had that that ability. Um, uh, you know, in first in modern trade and now slowly to the general trade. But I think all of the offline channels are expensive and and, and that's where you see a lot of consumer brands stay online. But with more and more funding and which which you're hearing in the market, obviously, and uh, some of these consumer brands are actually going out and, and really building up distribution. And then you have platform like Quran, which wasn't there four or five years back and which, and which wasn't there even two years back for consumer brand to go and build up an offline business to a, to a platform like that. So all of these things are, are relatively new. But from an opportunity perspective, it's, it's very large. I mean, each category, subcategory, you'll see 10, 15 leading brands uh, in the market, and then you'll see another 15 Tory brands are trying to catch up in that space. And then you'll see regional brands as well, brands which are only in the south of India or, or in the west of India. And, um, and, uh, and then the brands who are popular on the TikTok, some brands are very known in Insta, um, brands which are selling out of marketplaces like Nike and, and Purple and, and, and so on. So, um, so it's, um, it's a, I would say it's just a start for the new age consumer brand in India. And you'll see a lot of surprises in, in the time to come. I agree. I think the diversity and the sheer size of the market is definitely an attraction and also a reason why you're seeing a lot of parachute VCs backing more startups in this space. Are there any business models that are great examples in the consumer space that other startups should be looking at uh, and considering while building out consumer brands? I think the digital um, business model around digital is obviously digitally native. Um, has been has been there for many brands, but then um, and and that's where you. Uh, you know, they stay with, with a certain monthly run rate, but then they start feeling a little bit of a, not a saturation, but a, a slightly stagnation in terms of, you know, what are they going to do this to build up, to do a, a 100% growth or or to really grow to that size, which becomes exciting. Because, um, you know, unlike tech companies, I think I believe the consumer brand at some point of time, not initially, obviously, not in the initial three, four years, but then, you know, at at some point of time in their life cycle, they should start thinking about profitability. And that's a business model on the tech, which is obviously comes much, much later. And and therefore you, you see the consumer brands, you have raised series A and B. I think um, there shouldn't be a need in that way raising a series C because that B, uh, and, and depending on the size of what these funds have been raised, 
I mean, um, it should think about profitability at, at some point of time because then only it becomes exciting for the larger FMCG guys to acquire them if they are, um, you know, if they're profitable, obviously, because that's the that's the only reason why would somebody acquire, not just not just having that label in their portfolio or a brand in their portfolio. Very different from rest of the uh, other kind of in, um, you know subsectors of uh, tech and, and early stage investments and. Um, and then obviously um, distribution is becomes very key. I mean, distribution, product distribution, marketing, core of a consumer brand. And get the product right, keep developing, improving your product, keep developing, adjusting category in that product, find your hero product, um, build up uh, on the TG which you have targeted, and then build up a little mass around it, and then go to the next product and continue doing the same. Um, and um, obviously start with digital, as much as you can um, push digital um, um, and then eventually um, you know get your acquisition costs right the uh, lifetime value right you know all the standard matrix for a digital uh, uh, selling brands and then find the right way to get offline start with a city and then you know eventually build up a scale on that we did this in PCF very nicely and, and uh, we're not saying that we've done everything and we're really there but I think we're just getting those um, getting this somewhere right, and 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 it's a combination of great product again, and, and then also the marketing. And none of this is cheap, and that's where you require continuous uh, raise for a capital. But but then after some point of time, you kind of start thinking that it, this have to make sense. You have to make, you need to be profit definitely at the unit level, but then at the city level, maybe at a category level, and 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 that's what sort of I think the business model should evolve for consumer brands. Well, the flip flip side to that is because it's digital and digitally native, there are many competitors that can easily crop up in the space. So how do you mitigate for false positives and false negatives in such kind of a scenario? I think having many guys is not bad because, you know, for at least for the categories who are, which are new, I mean, a lot of, um, like in the men grooming segment itself, I mean, there was um, it was the man company us, then the Beardo I think was around the same time and the Bombay Shaving Club came and um, the Ustra was there I think slightly before us. So there's four or five different and and a couple of more came as well. And they've, um, so, you know, seven, eight companies on a certain category and trying to build up, you know, a, a mass. Having those more guys actually help, up, help building that category versus one or two guys pushing themselves. So in a, in a way, for a new category, it's definitely useful to have at least seven, eight guys. And then you'll see two or three of them will really become a long-term brand. And then the rest will continue, but not, not with the same sort of um, strength. And, um, but it's still very relevant to have more. Um, um, and the smaller ones in the same will, will eventually fade away, will be acquired or if they have some you know, very different product and proposition or will, will shut down. Um, I think sustaining uh, after a certain level, it becomes difficult if you're not profitable and you're obviously not have your USBs. Um, but, um, you know, then in terms of um, the, the no category, which are not very, um, which are known category. Yeah, you're right. The entry barriers are very limited, but then do they actually cross that run rate? Not many of them. I mean, they've, um, they again become stagnant because either you require more capital to, to push uh, for the penetration, or uh, or you need to go into a different channel, and then all of that require capital. And you know the capital is still, no matter um, how much we say the markets are liquid, the VCs are chasing deals and angels are chasing deals. But then not every company get funded. 
Um, and, and therefore, those who don't get funded for building further scale obviously have not many options. Then to either to scale down, stay limited, or then find different avenues. So it's it's both the sides. I mean, in terms of having good to have many guys in your category, and then uh, and then and only the selected guys and win the race. I mean, uh, in the known category, and which is really then real real mass building real moat around it. Interesting. And from your experience in the industry, what are some of the wrong reasons why investors fall in love with startups in the consumer context? Uh, so, so you're saying why why they love consumer brands? No. What What are some of the wrong reasons why they fall in love with startups in the consumer sector and get it wrong? Um, I think um, so. For, from Indian sort of ecosystem or Indian. I don't think so. Anybody have really at a large scale have really gone wrong. I mean, it's still in very early here. Um, I mean, it's only four or five years back you start seeing these brands have really popped up. I mean, and become sizable. I mean, um, so you see Mama Earth lately has become making a lot of noise. They've raised a sizable round, and and have loads of different products and loads of different category and 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 doing so well. Now it's only the time will tell what that was a great bet for um for for these VCs who backed them and. Um, and but you see, there's not every VC actually do um, um, consumer brands. I mean, I, I think it's just now getting into the investment thesis to do consumer brand. Like Fireside does only consumer brand, and DSG does consumer brand because they know it. They have a very deep background into this sector. Their LPs are from from these FMCGs, so they're specialized guys who really know what they're doing. And they would probably have some very good ones, and then obviously would have um the medium one and the somebody which i've not really picked up i mean so but most of the other funds in my opinion i think they would have 10 15 20 percent in their portfolio as consumer brand then but they have then other five six other major focus areas at least i haven't i mean at the small level uh, a lot of companies in the brand i've seen disappeared but i think if any vc have really backed large money 50 60 100 million dollar and have gone wrong i don't think so we had any such cases in india I mean, you can see why that's the case as well, right? I mean, it's because it takes a very long time to build these companies. Uh, as I previously mentioned, you need a lot of capital to do that. And at the same time, the exit scenario is very gloomy. You don't have a lot of exits. You don't have M&As in this space as much as you probably see in the other sectors. And at the same time, hardly any of the consumer consumer brands go public. So you can see why traditional VCs or angels would probably want to stay away from this space. Yeah, and um, you know, I I think um, so. We haven't seen. I mean, this really is really the time when you start seeing the next couple of years. You know, who, I mean, Paperboard is a good example. I think they've started um, several years back. The back by VCs, run very subsequent round. Have been building a product variant of their product and really getting it right. They they had struggled at distribution sometime earlier, but then it seems like they're also getting that sorted out. Um, so I think the full life cycle um and and you know it, it takes i think it takes at least 10 years to build up a consumer brand in a country like india i mean and and that to be when you have done got it right i mean it's not like you're in the market but you also get it right continuously and i think um it's really started four or five years back and and we've yet to sort of see and, and i think probably in the mid of next decade or this decade coming decade i mean is where we'll see these brands have become sizable Will be bought out um, uh, and maybe even think about IPOs. I mean, if they are profitable enough. Um, I think Indians love consumer brand and homegrown consumer brand more than anything. 
And these homegrown brands, um, obviously the new age ones have been really, really good. I mean, they're bringing things which we see outside India, you know, the brands and, and some of them are really aggressive. I mean, um, I, I, I see India is more exciting in consumer brand than any of the market here in Europe. I mean, um, definitely more than anything I've seen in the UK. Um, so it's, it's also where the ecosystem is actually pushing, but, um, you will see consumer brand in the portfolio for many of the traditional VCs, uh, that percentage is, it will grow up. I mean, and, and, and therefore, you'll see some of them who get really good funding get actually start building up good mass around it. And, and first building up that mass, that consumer base, and then finding those repeats, uh, and then eventually finding the profitability, and then ready for a, a proper acquisition. I mean, the smaller brands do get acquired. I backed the ICT company, um, you know, years back and that got acquired um, a year later after we funded um, and uh, and uh, but yeah I mean but still it's still in the initial journey still scaling up and but under under a defense of um, a team obviously the founder continued to be there but he got backing also from the acquirer uh, in terms of uh, the capital but also their expertise to a certain extent. So are there any geographies in India that stand out to you and are very attractive at this point? I think the cities is always the starting point um, for, um, uh, again, if your thesis is targeting the, the urban upper and middle. Uh, but we start seeing uh, startups who are only focusing on tier two, tier three cities and tier four. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and that remains also exciting from an investment thesis. Actually, those who are not looking only the bigger cities, but only targeting those cities and, and building up sales and marketing sort of platform and pipeline over there. Um, I think um, for me, it's, um, it's, you know, the bigger cities is, is uh, most of my companies actually have been on the consumer side, uh, has been obviously focused on the on the main cities. Though we had one company we started, um, um, the pharmacy company did extremely well, started with, with Jaipur, and then they sort of moved into a, a larger city. But again, Jaipur is, is, is as good as a, as a large city now. Um, but we do see a lot of con- startups um, uh, on consumer brand. We're only focusing smaller cities, and, and you know I, I haven't invested in any of them yet. Interesting. I, I, I like to segue into the next part of the podcast, which really is is more about it, it, it's based on the lines of rapid fire. So I'd like to understand a little bit about you know your investing and your investing style. So what percentage of meetings? or diligence that you do turn into term sheets and then into checks? Um, I think uh, I've never done more than two meetings um, and diligence has been um, relatively quick. I mean, in terms of ensuring, checking all the compliances and all what the company have represented on financials and filings and everything. And the second is obviously on the feedback from customer supplier on the product um, from partners and all of that that's sort of the two areas of major diligence uh, um, and and so the the meet two meetings sometimes three at the max uh, but I, I I don't think so I've took third meeting to make a decision the decision is always is already visible in the second meeting but between the first and second there's a bit of diligence not the really the deep dive diligence but at least uh, diligence uh, of product market fit and obviously the founders and so I've been I'm very quick decision maker actually and uh, I, I don't think I've wasted anyone's time um, or you know and 
and rather have been, you know, where I've been a lead investor, I've been relatively quick to also build up uh, my other friends and, and, and uh, you know, colleagues who are writing check together um, to sort of come relatively quickly to close the round. So as a follow-up to that question, I want to understand, in your opinion, what are the early signs of product market fit? And secondly, what's more important? Is it product market fit or product founder fit? I think both. I mean, the market fit is obviously more relevant because, I mean, if the product founder, if the founder uh, and product have a disconnect in terms of where the product lifecycle, product journey, founder own passion around it. If founder is not passionate of selling, um, you know, beverages and then, and then he hates food and beverages and he's the, you know, and he does something else there is no way that startup would even start. I mean, it's not even, it doesn't even going to excite. I mean, the founder passion for that sector and that space has to be very, very clear. I mean, the beverage company I'm talking about, I mean, the founder loved beverages. He have tried four or five different beverages before it didn't work it out. He found this recipe, right? He got the packaging for everything. So he loves that. And then obviously the, market was waiting for something like this because the market only had one subcategory. I'm talking about iced tea company called Brew House, which we backed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and the market was at you know early validation and, and, and trials and then early initial purchases told like people were wanting repeat on the spot, not even thinking about going back and coming back to buy that again. So so both of them are very relevant. And if Siddharth um, uh, have not been so passionate about iced teas, you know, um, uh, or or a, or a beverage of this kind. I mean, they, I mean, clearly this would have not taken off. I mean, he have tried lemonade before. He tried to other things before. He mo- in fact moved from Singapore to India, leaving his nice job to build up a brand and beverages, and then learn distribution, learn marketing over the period of time, and then sort of build up that. So it's, I think it's a combination of both. Great, that's good to know. So how often should a founder expect to meet post funding? What's the best cadence? you've observed from your best performing startups? So you're saying how, how often we are meeting um, uh, the founders after the investment? Yes. I mean, I've, I've keep a, with most of my company, I keep very, very close touch. I mean, sometimes speak every day, uh, every second day. And then um, whenever that sort of the travel, when I was still in India, I mean, I moved back um, sort of last year, um, early to mid last year. So before that, I've been, you know, literally meeting every well, twice a month um, uh, or sometime more. And then we used to have all these get-togethers, um, you know, on some of the other occasions. Um, but a lot of things is over the phone and WhatsApp. I think we have WhatsApp group. We All the founders are in the same group uh, and we exchange a lot of different messages. Um, so it's it's a very, very close uh, touch with most of them, if not all of them. Got it. What is one thing you'd like to change about venture capital or angel investing? Um, I mean, it's um, it's an amazing asset class. I think there's uh, it's evolving quite nicely, um, at least in India. And um, you know, it's really there's nothing much you can change. I mean, you you still have to wait for ten years to for a, a company to really build up and 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 succeed like complete life cycle. I'm, I mean, um, obviously not early stage investor wanting to wait for ten years, but you know, my horizon is five years and. Anything after that, I start becoming a little uncomfortable because obviously my own money. Um, it's nothing you could do to, to change, to be honest. I mean, because it's really driven on as a function of quality entrepreneur, 
great market, um, amazing execution skills. So all of that is is a journey which the founders and the team and, and the larger team, it's not just in the founder. By the way, that's one thing is, I think the founder do start and they're a great leader when they've sort of start and, and build up um, a, a great leader in that context when they start. But when do they become a great leader? When they really scale up is is that's where professionals come into the picture. And, and, and I think we found getting professionals at the right time also helps because sometimes the founder doesn't have those skills. Um, so I think what we're seeing is a lot more professionals in the market, you know, who are available and who are ready to come and do the startups sometime early on, sometime in the middle of uh, scaling up to kind of help the company uh, because they've done this properly in the other corporates. Um, so really, I mean, it's, it's things are evolving. I mean, but, um, and I can't complain that there's not enough capital. There's enough capital in the market. Um, so what would obviously like to see more and more quality of, of uh, startup companies and, and, you know, and obviously profitability at some point of time, which, um, which wasn't the case like when there's flush of capital and there was a madness on everything. I think thinking sensibly, making your business profitable is what, um, you know, after a certain sort of milestone is what I think you like to see more in, in, in this industry. Well, lastly, Dheeraj, what is your advice to founders raising capital? My advice is, you know, um, you know, build up the right platform, right venture, what you're building up. I mean, um, you obviously require capital at early stage. I mean, so which find the right, uh, find the guys who have believed in you in your life. I mean, find one or two angels who understand this sector which you're building up or who are closer to you. Raise first round of capital um, via them um, because they would also help you to get things right when you're probably struggling on many things. And then build up some mass, some scale. Um, prove your product is is loved by the market, either by corporates, if it be to be or if it's a consumer. Um, and you could repeat and you can build up a success story if you can scale up, if you have that capital. And then, um, you know, it's not everybody is get lucky actually getting Series A within the first year of incorporation sometime. Um, it takes, you know, smaller rounds sometime, multiple rounds, but really there's no real template. We have seen companies who have been raise uh, first round eight years back have now raised series a for 40 of uh, um, around which they won't call series a b is, is a 40 million dollar round i mean so i think a lot of patience is required uh in the team to kind of um, wait for that kind of thing but focus continuous passion money will come if your if your venture is right i mean um and uh, and you have shown and you have that ability um i i think the markets are very dynamic and they would um, you know, I mean, they, they love businesses and founders who can really get it right. So I think one day the success will come for sure. And the success is not raising money. The success is obviously getting a profitable venture, which if you get it right and quickly than others, then you have you monetize much faster than sometimes the venture funded business. Well, Dheeraj, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for your insights and thoughts. I really enjoyed learning more about how you go about with your investments and what your thought process really is. So I appreciate that. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast once again. That was another great episode. And as you just heard, it's never easy to be an angel investor, especially when you're sector agnostic. I'd like to thank Dheeraj again for his time and perspectives on Indian VC and startups. If you've been enjoying our episodes, and I really hope you have, 
I'd really appreciate it if you left me a review and give me some feedback on how I can make this podcast even better. While you're at it, please rate and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Next week, we have another great guest and I can't wait to share that episode with you. Until then, keep hustling. <laughs>